Blog Talk Radio. Yo, yo, yo. Like a Stella Della party late to the dance, but I am here. Make it fence. We're going back old school, Pete. No interviews, no ass kisses, no bullshit. We're going to come at you heavy and hard. It's going to be fun. Vinny has not recovered from Las Vegas. I think I got the whooping cough in that Denver airport. I'll be back again in a second. What's up, peeps? Vegas Vince back in the house, going back old school. We're going back to, it's like, it's funny, I always idolized Richard Pryor as a comedian, and it was, it was, um, it was always funny because as a kid, man, I don't know, we were in seventh, eighth grade, and me and my buddies, we'd sneak, you know, skip school. Did I say that? Sorry, Mom, if you're listening. Uh, We'd skip school. And we'd go and we'd listen to those old Richard Pryor albums in the basement. And uh, it was gold. And even Richard said later, you know, on in his career, you know, he kind of sold out a little bit, took the money, and they started typecasting him in some, you know, bad movies. They asked him, I think, that last movie did. Uh, Can you tell us about the movie? How is it? He said it's about two hours too long. And the fact of the matter is um, the early shows I did that people still talk about um, were gold. They were cutting edge. I mean, we talked about stuff that nobody else talked about. And then at some point Vince decided um, I needed to start bringing on heavyweight marketers, you know, with the heavyweight reputation because – I was trying to make a name for myself, and and I don't begrudge myself that. So I brought on some big-time marketers, and um, the fact is, you know, as many of you tell me, I suck at interviewing and so forth, but it worked. I mean, we brought on some guys like Ron Douglas. Actually, that was a good show. I didn't screw that one up. Jim Straw, the legend, God rest his soul, the $400 million man. That was a great interview. Um Azamayo, I butchered that. Um, 
you know, quite a few, quite a few, you know, it was funny. Once the show started getting popular, I didn't have to ask people. I mean, I had James J. Jones on, like, twice, and we kicked ass, had huge numbers. Um, unfortunately, James didn't want to do my show anymore. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I threatened one of his buddies or not. Um, I love James. Um, I actually wanted James J. Jones, who I still consider one of the few marketers out there with integrity, uh, to do kind of a prediction show that we had done in the past where he kind of talks about what he thinks the trends are uh, for the upcoming year. But uh, for whatever reason, I get the feeling James don't like Vinny too much anymore. So for those of you who have asked me, and there's been several of you who have, have, um, I don't think James is interested in doing the Vegas Vince show anymore. Uh, but that's all right. Like I said, no hard feelings. Um, I love James. He's, he's uh, again, a marketer that uh, has a lot of integrity, and he puts out quality stuff. Uh, his Wednesday night webinars are gold. In fact, I'm actually going to talk later about one of the marketers I learned about from one of his webinars, which is uh, is re- really, really cool stuff. Um, what's been going on? Okay, Vinny went to Vegas. I had a client that actually hired me to go to some godforsaken fucking place in Arizona where the women wear high heels and socks, and there isn't anything living but armadillos, the 7-Elevens are called 212, and the average temperature is older than my great-great-great-grandmother, about 130 years old. It was no place I really wanted to go. And then, bing, he switched to Vegas. So I went down there, and like a jackball, I forgot the fact I used to live in Vegas, and... In January, it's friggin' cold, so I get on the plane wearing my Florida clothes and froze my ass off. Then I got stuck in Denver on a six-hour layover because Frontier Airlines, who prides themselves on being on time 90% of the time, obviously I hit the 10%, and I swear to God I'm sitting there ready to take this little subway to go up to the food court, and I got two chicks that are hacking like they got fucking whooping cough. And I think Vinny brought that home. And I have, you know, walked back in when I got back. I mean, I froze my ass off in Vegas when I was down on the Strip, so forth and so on. Almost got gang raped in Vegas, by the way. I'll tell you guys that story. Um, I always like a good hustle, man. I've been in New Orleans and stuff. I like a good hustle. You know, if a guy's out there and he's got a good hustle, I'll go for it. If you're just straight up panhandling and you're being a jackball, you got nothing coming. So I see this brother, he's standing there, and I walk by him. He said, hey, I'm a rapper, I'm doing this. And I always like to support the artist. He said, um, this is my name, and this, this CD's got this and this. And I've seen, the, you know, I've seen this kind of scam before. It's not really a scam, but it's a, it's a hustle. And I like a good hustle. I was ready to give the guy the, you know, the 15 or 20 bucks just because I like his style. So basically what he does, he takes the CD out, and he says, what's your name? I say, Vince. He said, now you're King Vince, and he autographs and writes King Vince. And, and, and I reach in my pocket, I'm going to give him 20 bucks. Bad mistake. Next thing you know, his seven homies come by, and they all got CDs. 
Now I'm sitting there with a margarita in one hand, a cigarette in the other hand, and my wallet in the other hand, and I am literally surrounded. And I'm supposed to basically hand everybody a $20 bill. Well, that ain't going to happen. I ended up throwing, you know, one guy five ten, and then one guy's bitching. Well, you gave him more. And I'm thinking, you know, I pull the guy aside on the way back, and I say, dude, look, you're going to scare white folks to death with this hustle. I said, you may have some talent and so forth, but you got to fucking ease up on this pitch because – my client, who is walking about 10 feet ahead of me, he has to come back because he thinks I'm getting mugged. These guys were all right, guys. There's nothing wrong with them. But if you want to get your message out, you gotta you got to do it in a different way. So when I came back, and I think I was kind of, this was right around Treasure Island, I said, dude, you know, you got a pretty decent little hustle here. You know, the guy comes up, you tell him you're you're trying to make it in the rap business, whatever. You got the CD. You you know, you ask the guy's name, you sign it. You kind of make the guy feel obligated to buy. I you know, I went for it. I said, but when you send your posse out after me, hustling me, now you got nothing coming. I said, all you're going to end up doing is is basically somebody's going to call and you're going to end up getting thrown out. This you know, they're going to throw your ass out. So I, was, I wasn't really scared. I was more pissed off because it was, you know, again, I always support the artist, anybody out there. And what made me feel bad is I'm walking by and there's this old black guy and he's sitting down. He's not bothering anybody and he's sketching. He's not even pushing his shit. He's not even pushing it. But you could tell he's homeless and he's just sitting there and he's drawing. He's just doing beautiful etchings and stuff. Not saying anything to anybody, off on his side, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm mad at myself because I walk by and I'm thinking, you know what, this is the guy I'd like to give 20 bucks to. This is the guy who I would have rather given the 20 bucks to. He's not causing any problems. He's not coming with a hustle. He's just sitting there drawing. But, you know, based on the way he was dressed in his age, he was probably in his 70s and so forth, um, the guilt got to me a little bit. So on the way back, I dropped 20 bucks in his hand. He said, what do you want me to draw you? He said, I don't want you to draw none, brother. You know, so that was my, you know, Vegas experience on that. Uh, we'll get into a little bit about um, casino gambling and some other things. Again, we're going back old school on this stuff. But on my way back, I did pull the one guy aside. I said, look, man, you got to get rid of your, your, your homies here. I said, because, like I say, you're going to scare Whitey to death. Shit, you're going to scare black people to death. I said, you can't do this. You can't, you, can't, you, you can't pull out a CD and then have six guys surround you while I've sip- got a margarita in one hand, a cigarette in one hand, and my wallet in another. Because basically what's going to happen is most people, i got a little street smart, so, you know, but most people are going to think they're going to get mugged at that point. And rightfully so. And it isn't a color thing because there have been five white dudes. I'd have thought the same thing. Um, but it was a little, you know, it was a typical, you know, kind of pissed me off a little bit because I felt like I got hustled. And I saw the hustle coming about 100 feet away. I knew what was going to happen. And I was ready to do it. And I told him, I said, dude, I, I had no problem giving you the money for your CDs. I said, but. Don't don't have your five homies now come and now they're they're getting belligerent. You know they're getting belligerent. 
So again, I felt I felt kind of bad because I'm walking about another hundred feet. You know, you can't you can't feed the world, you can't save the world. But I see this one old black guy just sitting there, and man, this guy could, this guy could edge. I mean, this guy was it, it, it's sad to me sometimes. It just it, life deals people cards. Uh, guy wasn't didn't look like he was a drunk or a drug addict. He just sat there and he was doing this etching, and I just dropped it, and I felt better about that. It wasn't about the money. It's just that I don't want to be hustled. Don't hustle me. You know, don't put the hustle on me. If it's a good hustle and I, you provide value, see, like in New Orleans, that's a different story. New Orleans, you got guys, they had these kids from New York that were doing these somersaults, and I mean, like, man, I swear to God, these guys could have been in the Olympics. They kicked ass. They did about a 20-minute show. They're, they're flipping and doing all this shit. They're landing on concrete, not mass. Man, by the time it was over, we were ready to pay them. But they weren't putting a hustle on. They were putting a show on, providing value, then getting paid after the fact. What I experienced was basically legalized mugging, and I, I'm pissed at myself because I had no problem giving the one dude the money for the CD, but I got real pissed off at his, his, his homies who called me a cracker and every other name after I didn't give them as much money for their CDs. Uh, it just it pissed me off. But, again... It ain't a racing. It's just the way it is. Because um, trust me, there's some uh, there is some uh, carny white trash out there in Vegas too that uh, that pissed me off as well. I uh, checked out Pawn Stars. Went down there just to see how the the uh, shop had changed. Kind of interesting. Um, it's become a big tourist attraction. You go down there. The story is not nearly as impressive as you would think it is based on television. Uh, none of the players on the show were there. Um, I recognize one guy, but he's not like a main character. The bouncer, when you walk right into Pawn Stars, it's the gold and silver pawn shops where they film the show Pawn Stars, um, said, okay, you can take pictures to the right, nothing to the left. Everybody was um, real nice. Um, Everything was real overpriced. I mean, their silver bullion, I think silver was trading for about 1980 an ounce, and they had like a bar, 100-ounce bar, uh, that was going for 2800 So their premium on that was way off, way, way, way too high. Plus, unlike Florida, where you can buy you know, gold and silver without paying sales tax, I don't think that's the same case for Nevada. So it was fun. It was fun to kind of go in there, but the shop is uh, not nearly as big as you think it is. And I'm wondering how much business they do. I mean, I really do. I think they're, you know, they, I bet they're making more money off the show. Um, interesting. So, again, I stayed at the Riviera. Uh, had a great time there. It's kind of an old-school Vegas joint. I hate staying on the Strip. I'm more of a Fremont Street guy, but this was good, and it was close to my clients, so we had some good times. And uh, casinos, as always, gave me money. We'll talk about that later. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me how I'm able to beat the casinos. First thing I tell them is, in order to really win at gambling consistently, you have had to have suffered greatly in your life. You have had to have sat and lost thousands. You've had to have paid your dues. And uh, I'll talk about a book that completely changed the way I handled my casino affairs. 
uh, written by a gentleman named Lyle Stewart, originally published back in the 70s. It's on Amazon now. And once you understand the psychology um, and realize that you're not going to take the chandeliers home when you gamble, uh, you can pop them for 90, 100 bucks almost consistently. Uh, I play roulette and baccarat's about it. And uh, it's, it's basically psychology. And, um, you know, I'd love to tell you I won thousands of dollars. I didn't because that's never my goal. My goal is to hit and run. Um, sometimes I'm at the table for as little as five minutes and I'm out of there. And if I take home 105 bucks, first thing I say to myself is, well, 105 bucks for 10 minutes, how long would that take a ditch digger out in the heat to make that kind of money? And, you know, once you realize philosophy and there's some other things, I'll talk about that later if we have time. Because there's a lot of people who have followed me around. Um, I actually got banned from the Golden Gate Casino uh, years ago on the roulette table. And it wasn't because I was cheating or anything else. I had just made the mistake of showing up. And I had literally hit this place for anywhere between 80 to 200 hours, 13 straight times. How many of you can say you wanted anything 13 straight times? But the reason the guy got rid of me finally was because he said, you're a good player, but I don't want your action because you're a hit-and-run player. In other words, the house edge will eat you alive if you go to Vegas with the desire to play and bring your girlfriend and have fun. I'm not there to have fun. I'm there to hit, make a little money, and run. And if it's 80 bucks, I'll take it. Because once you get up in that room, you realize Winning 80 bucks or 100 bucks is a hell of a lot better than dropping 2,000. And believe me, in my life, I have done that. I've, you know, I, I used to have a horrible gambling problem back when I was in my 20s. So we'll go through that. Uh, we're also going to hit some. Um, we're, again, we're going old school. We're going to take this show back to uh, the way it used to be, and we're going to bring up some um, some niches right now that nobody else is talking about. But I want you guys to really start thinking about it. I'm just going to hit you up on a couple of them. One of them is ginseng. Uh, you know, if any of you have watched the show Appalachian Outlaws, ginseng, that's, you know, these guys are almost killing each other for this thing. But it's a root, and it, it, it's a, it grows wild in Georgia in the Appalachian. Right now it's going for about $1,000 a pound. So, therefore, you got a lot of people that are poaching and this and this. But it got me to thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, my God, you know, why couldn't uh, Vinny grow some ginseng? I'm going to tell you guys uh, there is a site that I want everybody to go to if you are in the state. Um, there's only 18 states, just to, to educate everybody, um, that allow ginseng to be grown. And Florida, unfortunately, isn't one of them. And I'm guessing that's because they, you know, are such a citrus-orientated state, and that's where the money comes in. They don't want you growing it. But there's a Native American man, and the name of the site is ginseng, G-I-N-E-N-G, slash seed.com. He's a Native American. He's about 70 years old. His family's been in the ginseng business for over 200 years. He will sell you seeds. He will sell you rootlets. Uh, 
And I'm going to tell you, his particular brand of seeds, and by the way, he, I think he's in his 44th year, but his family's been in the business uh, for 200 years. Uh, his actual seeds will net you around four to $450 a pound. And again, it's ginsengseed.com. You will get a wealth of information. Now, this is for people that actually are looking to grow. Um, if you are, and by the way, it's very easy to figure out. Just go to Google. There's only 18 states that allow you to grow and export. Uh, Michigan is where he's based. By the way, Wisconsin is the biggest grower, I guess. Uh, Georgia is one of them. I don't know all the other states, but it's there. It's very easy to find the information out. Ginseng's becoming huge. The Chinese have driven up the price. So right now, like I said, wild ginseng that's being grown out there in the woods of uh, Georgia and Appalachian, they're paying 1000 to $1,100 a friggin' pound. Now, as far as Internet marketing goes, I think this is something where you guys can jump on. See, when I give you the guys these little niches, you can either take it to the bank and actually do it, or you can try to create a product around it. But again, go to this guy's site. I have, trust me, I have been all over the web. This guy's site is massive. He's easy to reach. He's got a cell phone number. Uh, tells you everything you want to know about ginseng. It's ginseng-seed.com. His name is um, Michael Hunter. Again, Native American up in uh, Houghton Lake, Michigan, and there is a fortune. Um, ginseng, you know, Chinese, I think, think it's an aphrodisiac, but it does apparently have some healing qualities. A lot of, you know, people into the natural healing are really big on ginseng. It is a huge, huge niche, and it's not just because of this little raggedy show, which is fun to watch, by the way. But they are literally right now paying a thousand dollars. I mean, why would you go in the weed business? You go in the ginseng business. You don't have to go to jail. And say you're not in a place that you can sell it. But this is something that you guys could try. You could educate yourself on and build a product around, and probably do very well because I guarantee you, when you have a plant that you can grow that can generate that kind of jack. It's just a matter of time. And then you throw the TV in again. Life imitates art. Art imitates life. There, the number of searches since his shows come out, Appalachian Outlaws, I think it runs on A&E on Thursdays, it, it'll blow your mind. Watch it. I, you know, I don't watch shit like Honey Boo Boo, you know, where the average virgin is an ugly third grader. Okay? I don't watch shit like that. That, that. That's mindless entertainment. But I enjoy watching these type of shows where you can actually – Learn something, and it's just funny. You got one guy paying a thousand a pound, and then you got this other guy, the colonel, coming in, and he's trying to siphon off the guy's buyers. He's paying eleven hundred a pound. And by the way, these are legitimate prices. It's a very short growing season. Um, ginseng is a niche that everybody should start researching. Again, I haven't heard anybody else talking about it. That's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, again, check the guy's site out. I'll say it one more time. For those of you on the, uh, you know, volume or whatever and are running on tape delay, ginseng slash, excuse me, hyphen, seed.com. I shouldn't say slash, hyphen, ginseng hyphen seed.com. 
you will get a world-class education in ginseng. You could buy seeds. The guy has different plans. The guy will actually come and help, actually help you start a commercial grow operation if you want to. And, again, as long as you're in one of the 18 states. Now, normally that wouldn't stop Vinny, <laughs> but Florida, I think, is a little tough for it. It needs uh, sun in the morning, and it needs a lot of shade in the rest of the day. So I would recommend you do it legally. Um, I'm going to tell you another one that is becoming huge, and that's the moonshine niche. And there's two ways of making money in this niche. By the way, you don't think you can buy stills? You know, you look at the they, they got the show Moonshiners. Again, you know, another show. But moonshine, which, yes, it's illegal unless you have the proper papers. Um, you see, you know, they basically present it as these backwards hillbillies that are doing the shine business. And to me, they're harmless and... If law enforcement wants to spend all their, you know, tax dollars chasing down some 70-year-old moonshiner, kind of says a lot about where we are as a country. But regardless, um, you can look up on YouTube moonshine recipes. Now, the, the best apparently is corn mash. Uh, I was shocked going to YouTube. I shouldn't be, but I'm shocked because... There are a ton of recipes up there to make that particular form of moonshine. What's more interesting is if you want a moonshine still, you know, on the TV show, it seems like they're always welding and jerking around and doing all this stuff. There are companies that will sell you anywhere from like five to $700, a pre-made ready still, made of brass, all done. You ain't going to worry about thing blowing up. And again, if, if if you I'm not telling anybody to go out and make moonshine, although I will tell you a mason jar is about a hundred dollars. Hint hint. But again, if you want to be on the straight and narrow, you want to be legal and so forth, um there's a lot of money right now, again, in this niche. It's again it's a niche nobody else is talking about. It's a niche nobody else is talking about. Can you formulate a product around it? I don't know. I would think somebody out there is pretty savvy could. You know, information in itself is not illegal. Apparently selling moonshine stills is not illegal either because you can go do your own research and Google stills and you will find there are plenty of them on the market. So, again, I've been saying to a lot of my private clients and stuff, you know, people asking me for these obscure little niches, that ginseng and moonshine are two that I would really be looking at right now, especially when you have the multi-million dollar medium of television acting as a infomercial for these industries. When people are watching these shows and seeing that people are are getting eleven you know thousand dollars to eleven hundred dollars a pound for a friggin' root that grows in the ground, I mean, do you guys realize that that's basically constructing an advertisement for um, a really, really powerful niche. And, and, and the same thing holds true um, for moonshine. So, you know, I'm not telling you to go out and break the law, but I am telling you that the, the actual niche itself is huge. 
And there are people getting rich selling stills. And because of the show, again, volume, search volume. Uh, I talked to one guy off the record who sells stills, uh, said his sales have nearly tripled since the show has come on TV. Um, again, recipes. I mean, I, I would even recommend checking out archive.org. Sometimes you can get some of the best recipes off archive.org, you know, the old Wayback Machine, but in this case, uh, public domain recipes, um, whatever. I mean, you could put together something that could make some money. Um, I could tell you, let me think, what else um, did I want to bring up? Again, we're getting into outlaw niches here, people, but it's all about the money. And I'm not saying you have to do this. Now, if you had an opportunity and you, you're a horticulturist and you've got uh, the ability to grow stuff, I highly recommend if you're in one of the states you can do ginseng, do it. Uh, there's a possibility that you could get very, very wealthy, very, very wealthy. Again, the uh, Chinese, not Japanese, excuse me, Chinese have drove the price up through the roof. Um I'm not going to get into the marijuana debate because, again, as long as, you know, but it is sort of like buying Microsoft when it just came out. And I do know there are venture capitalists, uh, in fact, one female that I know who has actually moved to Colorado and is investing millions of dollars into the marijuana industry down there. Um, That's a little shakier because you change presidents, you change philosophies, you don't know what will happen. But ginseng, like I said, at that price, wow. Even if, even at, like I said, my man who I gave you the site, ginsengseed.com, with the hyphen in between the ginseng and the seed, uh, his particular brand of seeds are getting about $400 a pound, 4 to 450 I mean, these are things you've got to think about. And then, like I said, if you don't want to do it, at least start formulating some products around this. You guys could make a lot of money because there's just nobody else out there doing this stuff. You guys would rather uh, jack around with the new WordPress plugin, right? Or a new way to game Google, which is going to fail in three months when they put the lions and tigers and bears. And that's why I'm trying to come up with some different stuff for you. Um, I talked to a very wealthy gentleman down in Vegas, ask him where the the people, the old school, the big-time money are putting it into it. I am not real versed on this, but I'll tell you what he told me. It is the color diamonds, like the pink. And, again, this is out of everybody's probably normal price range. But if you look at a historical chart, he was showing it to me, um, color diamonds. I don't mean treated, but there's like pink and there's a canary and there's – there, there's different colors. These things have gone up hundreds and hundreds of percent. So if you've got the big dollars, um, he told me that that's where his clients are, are hoarding their money. And uh, pretty interesting. I was watching the gym show tonight, and they actually had a .63 pink diamond on there, SI2, which isn't even that good. A .63, slightly over half carat, going for... I believe $63,000. Are you friggin' kidding me? Uh, so, again, if you're looking for an affluent niche, look into the color diamonds. I'm not talking about these damn brown cognac diamonds. I'm talking about, like, the pink. I actually had a list here. I can't find it. But over the last 20 years, they've just shot up in value hundreds and hundreds of percent. 
even through the recession, so-called recession. Uh, what else? Um, silver. Um, I'm going to be posting a, a thing on silver. My grandfather was a silver bug, and when he died, he left behind several bags of $1,000 face junk silver, as they call it. That's pre-65, excuse me, 64 before Kennedy halves or Mercury dimes or whatever. That was back when silver was probably $9. Um, people ask me all the time about metals ever since I did that show where I, I gave you all the advice to buy palladium back when it was $225. Palladium now is 750 Of all the metals, the only one who's tripled. I bring this up because that show, Cashing In for Cash for Gold, is on record. It's dated. I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, I'm going to tell you why I think silver's a dog. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but I'm going to tell you something. Silver right now is trading around 19, 20 bucks an ounce, okay? Do you guys remember back, I believe it was 1980, silver hit its all-time high. I believe it was $50. Had to do with superinflation under, you know, whatever. And the Hunt brothers trying to corner the market. But regardless of all that, I'm not getting into fundamentals. I'm getting in. I'm getting in. See, I'm not a fundamental type guy. I'm technical. Because fundamentals are based on opinion. And we all know about opinions. Technical analysis is based on reality. Okay? Silver hit a high of $50. I think at that time gold hit a high and it was around 800 an ounce. Now, here's why I... I'm going to go on record as saying, you people think silver is going to go through the roof are fucking nuts. And believe me, I used to love silver. When gold made that big boom, right, what did it go to? It broke through 800. It broke through 900. It broke through 1,000. Then it got to 1,500. It went all the way up to 1,900 and what, 47 or 77, almost damn near $2,000. Guess where silver went? And by the way, it only stayed there for a few minutes. <laughs> Not literally, maybe a few days. $48 or something? I'll have to look at the exact number. Check it out on the chart. My point being is gold went to damn near $2,000, and silver couldn't even break the high it set in 1980. Now gold is back down to whatever, 1250, 1260, somewhere in there. Don't even talk to me about silver until gold gets back to 2000 if it does. Because there's a problem here. If if silver can you know, if silver can't even break the old high set in 1980, well gold is shooting all the way up to almost $2,000. What does that tell you about silver? Well, oh, the fundamentalists are going to come out and say, well, uh, there's a shortage, there's this bullshit. I'm not basing it on fundamentals. The fact of the matter is gold went to damn near $2,000, as we all know, and silver, fact, could not even break the old high it set in 1980. And do you know how many people don't even know that? There's still people think, oh, yeah, silver broke the high back when gold broke. No, no, it didn't. 
It didn't. And not only that, when it got up to around $48, in about a day or two, it plummeted about 25%. It tells me this is a dog metal. I'm not going to get into gold. I'm not even going to get into palladium because at this price at $750, i am probably bullish on it, but uh, semiconductor metal, but it is a commodity, so it's not real liquid. You've got to be careful screwing with it. Um, be careful with silver. Why, why is silver going to go to 200 or 500 an ounce? I know you've got the Dillard Corporation. You've got all these big-time people, promoters, and everything saying, oh, silver is undervalued. It's, it's going to go to you know, 200 an ounce. And I'm saying to myself, gold carries silver. If gold goes to, okay, let's just pretend it went to 2,000. It was damn near there. Explain to me why silver is lagging back at $47 if it's such a great play. Nobody can do that. See, they don't, want, they don't want to talk about that. See, that's technical analysis. Technical analysis is based on reality. It's not based on somebody saying, oh, by the way, there's way more demand than supply. Or, you know, Kodak needs a lot of silver. No, they don't. I mean, even if they did, I don't care. I look at, I look at numbers. I look at the charts. And I'm going to be honest with you. When when gold hit damn near 2,000, I thought gold sh- silver should be around 100 or 200 dollars an ounce. It didn't even break the old 1980 high. So you people that are just in love with silver and jerking off over silver, explain that to me. Someone explain to me how gold can go to 2,000 dollars and silver can't even break the 1980 high. Please explain that to me. Because I get sick of hearing about the well. It should have and it could have and it would have. Yeah, but guess what? It didn't. Period. End of story. We could talk later. Maybe gold has to go to 5000 Gold goes to 5000 Maybe silver will go to fifty. I don't know. So, again, silver bugs. I'm not saying there isn't money to be made on the futures market because, you know, uh, down here at this level there's support for silver around $19, you know, you get on the futures market. I'm not saying you can't make money. It may and it, and it may even pop up to 25. May do a little correction, go back 25. But please don't sit here and try to tell me silver is going to two, three hundred anytime soon. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not even sure gold is going back to two. Yeah, I know they're printing money, right? They're printing money. I'm going to give you guys a book that you all should read called The Demographic Cliff by Harry S. Dent. You know, we, you know, logically speaking, we should be in mass inflation. And in those circumstances, the metals do very well. Harry thinks, and he's a pretty smart guy based on, and he does his analysis based on demographics, which are pretty accurate, by the way. Demographics basically are when people are going to die and what they buy, he can tell you what people at 70 buy and what people at 20 buy. And, for instance, he can tell you that in Japan, more diapers are being sold to adults than children. Now think about that for a minute. He actually predicts that we're going into an area of deflation. If we go into an area of deflation, the metals are going to drop. 
So, again, the book is fascinating. You don't have to agree with it, but and Harry's been wrong on some things in the past, but I'll tell you what, he's been right more often than he's been wrong. It's called The Demographic Cliff, How to Survive and Prosper During the Great Deflation of 2014 to 2019, Harry S. Dent, Jr. I believe it's the number one seller in business on Amazon. Fascinating book. Fascinating book. So what I'm trying to tell everybody is you got to start looking at niches that are kind of off the radar. So when I come up to you and I talk to you about ginseng and moonshine, you guys can laugh and stuff, but to me they're a hell of a lot more viable than investing a shitload of money into silver bullion or what have you. Because in good times or bad, the vices always sell, the outlaw vices. Um, I want to take a second to, um, and, I, and I swear to God, every living marketer butchers his name. This is actually was one of James J. Jones's mentors. His name is David J. Valeris. I hope I pronounced that right. Nobody ever does. Uh, David J., and it's spelled V-A-L-L-I-E-R-S. He has been around longer than Moses. Again, uh, James J. Jones actually um, considers him one of his mentors. Uh, He just did a mailing for Barter Arbitrage and converted at 19%. 19%. Do you guys realize that most people don't even open up 19% of their friggin' emails anymore? So we really appreciate David, and I'm going to have him on a future show, and him and I are going to be talking about marketing and quantum physics. And I'm not talking about this airy-fairy secret shit where you wish you would win the lottery, and then you, you don't even go out and buy the lottery ticket. You just, you know think that if you just wish it, it's going to happen. Uh, quantum physics is a fascinating subject. Actually, I talked to James Jones a little bit about that. I would have loved to have had him on the show to talk about quantum physics, but again, James isn't interested in doing my show. That's okay. Uh, Dave is, and uh, we'll have him on, and we'll be talking about it because it's a fascinating subject, and uh, I want to thank him for taking the chance and mailing I mean, he just, he didn't even think twice about it. When I started the project out with Barter Arbitrage, I said there will be no affiliates, there will be nothing. I want social proof up there. I want people to realize that the reviews are not bought and paid for, and they're not. I'm not going to be like everybody else, like JV Zoo, who buys and sells their affiliates. And by the way, I wouldn't put my product on JV Zoo if JV Zoo wrote me a check for a million dollars. Don't like the guys running it, ain't going to do it. If I offend some people, I'm sorry. I have my reasons. Um, One guy that I came across, I always like to throw you guys little under-the-radar marketers. I stole that line from James Jones, actually. I love that, under-the-radar. Greg Caesar. I first actually learned about him listening to a James Jones webinar. And by the way, guys, get on James's list. I mean, just, again, I, I, I'm bigger than keep, you know, I, I, I don't keep stuff personal. You know, James, James has been good to me. I've learned a lot from him. He's honest. He's got integrity. He's got good shows. The fact 
that I probably pissed him off when I threatened to slap the brill cream off E. Brian Rose's face. Uh, he probably didn't like that. He probably didn't like the fact I said I was going to slap Tim Castleman's face if I ever saw him. You know, that's loyalty. I ain't got a problem with that. But I'm going to tell you what. He puts on some of the best webinars. And I'm going to tell you something else. When James puts on a webinar, you can pick up stuff without even buying the product, although in many cases I suggest you do buy the product. But Greg Caesar is an incredible marketer. And one of the webinars he did recently, which blew my mind, was on making money with deal-a-day sites. Now, I always thought Living Social and Groupon and all these different, you know, jackball social deal sites were like for cheap people that wanted to spend $5 instead of 10 Boy, was I wrong. There's actually examples of people selling $4,000 trips to Jamaica to resorts uh, and making $60,000, $70,000 in a week. And the beautiful thing about this is you can go to a business and you don't have to ask them for a dime up front. You can say, look, I want to put you on a deal a day site. Now, there are some nuances. You have to be, you got to realize that the rep for all these companies, they don't have the client's best interest at heart. Okay? So some companies actually run these, these deal a day sites and lose money because they don't have their metrics down and so forth. That's where you come in. Uh, all these reps for, like, Living Social and Groupon, and by the way, there's about 100 others, they're all on a commission basis, and they also all have a quota. Therefore, everything is negotiable. It is a really exciting thing. Um, you could probably Google search Greg Caesar deal a day or, or, or get in, in touch with him somehow through the Internet. Um, you don't even, again, I'm not an affiliate, I'm not chilling. I, I wouldn't even, if I, if I was, I'd have a link for you. But Greg Caesar, C-A-E-S-E-R, something like that. You guys will find him. But it's a deal of day sites. You can make a lot of money, guys, a lot of money. I'm actually doing this with a company. I've just, um, as many of you know, at one time I was marketing director for a company called ASI that has a product that is in 65 countries that literally, if you install it in tires, will prevent blowouts and literally, if you get a flat, you can drive over a bed of nails and it will seal the tire. Um, it's a life-changing product. gentleman I was working with, God rest his soul, died uh, right as... I was in the middle of doing a major deal with South African bankers. That would have paid me almost $40,000. Um, his brother has since taken over the company. He wants me back. I'm going to sign the paperwork tomorrow. Um, I'm going to make this available. When you guys see the video on this product, it's going to blow your mind. It is life-changing, groundbreaking. Um, there are some distributor opportunities. There's huge margins. I want to see flat-free in ambulances and police cars, school buses, and everything else um, because it saves lives. It is not fix-a-flat. It is not something you stick on your tire after you get a flat tire. This literally will prevent flat tires. It literally cools the tires. It seals it. 
Also comes with a $2 million insurance policy, I believe, and it's incredible. They also have various other products that are incredible as well, like the waterless wash and wax, where you can literally wash and wax your entire car in about 15 minutes without using any water. Incredible product. Um, I'm going to make it available on a limited basis to select clients. You guys will be getting the actual distributor price. I don't mark it up. Um, I get paid a commission. Um, I have the squeeze page ready to roll. I have to go sign the contract tomorrow. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, those of you who can hustle this, this should be, again, in every type of vehicle that carries kids or any cars that have to move fast or whatever. Uh, we have a testimonial from the Paschal Trucking Company that said it saved them over a million dollars in a year, the product. Uh, it's incredible. But, again, it's one you have to see to believe. Um, another very cool thing, um, I, I want a lot of you guys to know we're talking about silver. I will tell you something that's very cool about silver, junk silver. First, let me light up. Hold on. This is going to be cool. Okay, we all know that half dollars and dimes that are dated 1964 or before are 90% silver. But I wonder how many of you know that Kennedy halves dated 1965, 66, 67, 68, 69, I believe 1970, are 40% silver. I ran into a guy, and by the way, you can go to YouTube, and they call this, I think they call it uh, silver mining. But you can go to your bank and hand them a couple hundred dollars and tell them you want half dollars. Now, I just did this as a test for fun. And by the way, you're eventually going to piss your bank off, so have a few. But I bought, you know, handed her $200, and I got back um, 400 halves in rolls. And would you believe that out of those, I was able to find 14 coins that contained 40% silver. So those 50-cent pieces that were dated 66, 67, 68, 69, they weren't worth 50 cents. They were worth about $78. Now, I just went over to a friend of mine's house that got back from Vegas, and they were planning on heading to Vegas again. She had a big stack of halves. I said, do you mind if I look through your halves? I pulled out eight. I said, you don't want to put these in the slot machine. Do you realize that these are 40% silver? And by the way, when you, get, when you start collecting these, these can be sold to coin dealers. Now, even as those silver has taken a drop, but it's still close to around $20 an ounce, 40% is still worth it. I know one guy who did over $25,000 last year doing nothing but going to the bank and buying half dollars and then looking for the 40% coins. Because a lot of people don't realize that the Kennedy halves from the year 65 to 70 are, for, in fact, 40% silver. It's a lot of fun to do, too. Just go down to your bank. Most of the halves that they get, by the way, are from just people that just roll them up <clears throat> excuse me, and are sick of them. And they have no clue 
most people know that anything 1964 or before, that's 90%. So if you had a dot two two 1963 Kennedy halves or walking liberties, uh, that's worth like $17, $18 right now. But they don't realize that the Kennedy halves, where there was a five-year gap where they printed them, that they did 40% silver. And believe me, it adds up. And should silver jump a little bit, again, I'm not real bullish on silver, but even if it, say, goes up to 25 30 bucks, it's going to add up real quick. And it's a fun little hobby you can do it with your kids, whatever. Um, and here's the one beautiful part about it. What's the risk? Nothing. You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Doesn't cost anything. You just go into your bank, hand them some money, said like, I need some half dollars. Then you cash them in. I mean, if you're in Vegas, it's even better because you can just cash them in at the cage. But now, eventually, you may have your bank block a little bit or whatever, but just go to another bank or whatever. But I'm telling you, there's you can go to YouTube and see this being done. And I know for a fact that there's a guy who did well over $20,000 doing nothing but this, and he risked nothing. So very, very cool. Just a little tip. don't know how many of you have heard of that one either. Um, what else? I uh, got blackmailed, got a got a real bizarre letter in the mail. Uh, I, uh, legally speaking, I can't go into all the details, except the guy who sent it was a rank amateur because he sent this letter to me that basically described himself as a scumbag, and he's writing on the behalf of another party, and then he tells me that if I don't do this and this, that he's going to go all over social media. Like, that's going to really scare me. And I almost laugh because as I, I you know, Vinny ain't a snitch. It's real. I, I just not one of these people run to law enforcement. So one of the guys that eats at my restaurant is a retired cop. I just let him read the letter. By the way, he sent two or three. And the guy looked at this. He said, have you sent this to the attorney yet, attorney, state attorney? I said, why? He said, this guy has literally put in all three components necessary under the law for blackmail. He's telling you, you need to do this, and if you don't do this, he's going to do this. So the guy's like a rank amateur. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, at this point, what to do. So the person I think he's talking about, I wrote him a letter, and I said, look, dude, I said, we can do this very civilly, and you can tell me what's up, or we can do this in a criminal matter because – this is very easy to tie to you just because you had your flunky send it. By the way, the flunky writes a certain city and state down, but after he made the mistake of using a tracking number, and I know right where it came from. I know who had him do it. Um, this guy could go to. This guy actually could go to jail for what he did. You can't. You, can't, you know. It, it just. It never ceases to amaze me how smart people can be so stupid. So I have the letters, and I have no—I really have no interest in in putting anybody in jail. Uh, you know, I, I, that's never been my style. I know a lot of you would run to the cops immediately, and it's not because I'm worried about what this guy's going to do to me. It's more that's just not my style. I don't—I just was raised differently. I mean, I did—you know—when I was 19, as many of you know. 
I was charged with aiding and abetting the distribution of cocaine. Now, keep in mind, I'm 19 years old. Figure out what aiding and abetting it is, and maybe you can explain it to me. I didn't sell it. I didn't possess it. I didn't conspire. It basically meant that I knew the deal was taking place, but I didn't call the FBI to stop it. And that is a charge. And they slammed me. I had no priors. I've had nothing since. So, we're, and I went to trial. They offered me one year, plea, plea arrangement, said basically, you know, nice. In fact, I'll tell you the guy's name, Larry Card, assistant DA for the government. Said, he said, you know, you're a nice kid. We know this wasn't yours. Uh, do you really want to spend five years in jail? Why don't, we know where you got, you know, where, where, where this came from. And I said to him, you know, you know, in the movies they all say, oh, go fuck yourself. Uh, uh, I didn't. I just said, uh, Mr. Card, I can't do that. And he looked at me, and I think there's actually some respect there. He, he showed me some respect, because even cops hate snitches, believe it or not. Um, however, if I do hear anything further from this guy, I'm going to have to take some sort of action. Uh, we've now got a certain individual in the restaurant that's carrying a concealed weapon because he made into windows about this and this and leg breaking and so forth. I mean, I'm the wrong guy to try to intimidate. I mean, I've been on the streets too long. Come on, dude. If you're out there listening, uh, you actually have committed blackmail, and I'm not interested in uh, pursuing criminal charges at this time, although we do take your threats very seriously. And, you know... If something were to happen to Vinny, uh, all the letters and names have been forwarded to the right people. So, anyway, we only have a little bit left, uh, about 90 seconds. Um, this is kind of, again, off-the-wall show because I wasn't real prepared and I haven't felt real good. But um, check out Greg Caesar. I want to thank David V. again. Um, Check out the ginseng market. Check out the uh, moonshine market. And uh, I want to bring on my man, Jay Plater, as a client of Barter Arbitrage. Go to barterarbitrage.com. It's still kicking ass, still selling. Thank you for everybody's purchase. And, um, you know, life is good. Uh, we weren't able to sell the restaurant. I'm real disappointed about that. But, uh, you know, life goes on. And I'm looking forward to continuing doing coaching, man. Again, Vinny pays the airfare in the hotel. I come down to your town. We work on your business. I want to thank Michael Stanton, who just hired me to come to Vegas. Um, most of it all goes to medical bills, but you know what? makes me feel good. I love all you guys. Um, as always, may you live to see the dawn. May all your dreams come true. May you always remain forever young. God bless. Good night.